All right. Praise the Lord, you guys. Uh, you know what? If I was to have told you four or five months ago, I said, I have a prediction. And I said, in four or five months, or few, you know, four or five months from now, four or five months ago, there's going to be people around the world in 180 plus nations who are hunkered down in their homes and wearing masks and dying of pestilences and a specific disease and Americans you see everywhere will be afraid to come out of their homes and so forth and, and everybody will be wearing masks and so forth and they'll be rioting all over because of you know, racism and, and the major cities around the country will be on fire and lawlessness will be increasing and people will just be hurting innocent people in the name of trying to make things right, you know? And, and I said that was going to happen in f- four or five months. Would you believe me? Pretty outrageous, huh? But I can show you in the word where Jesus said, very clearly, Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse that diseases would continue to increase. Uh, some people predicted that infectious diseases would be gone by now. Jesus said pestilences would increase. And he said that lawlessness would increase. And he said racism would increase. He said nation will rise against nation. That Greek word nation there, when you read the, in the original Greek, it's ethnos against ethnos. And ethnos is the Greek word from which we get ethnic or ethnicity, ethnic groups against ethnic groups. And he warned us as believers when this is going on that the love of many would grow cold and that many would fall away from the faith. We need at this time in history to make sure that our love does not grow cold. There will be an apostasy, and we're in it now, where the love of many would grow cold because of the increase of lawlessness, because of ethnos against ethnos, because of pestilences and so forth. And we are in a test. One of the messages I was preparing for this Sunday, and I wasn't sure which one I was going to preach, was how we're being tested. I'm still going to preach that message. But I continued to seek the Lord because I didn't have peace about what was going to be this specific Sunday. And it was just basically so clear to me what it ought to have been. And it's what I'm going to preach on, is the evil of racism. Sister Matina was cutting my hair yesterday, and Lisa and I were over there, and her son Ayers is a police officer, and we were talking about all the stuff that's going down right now, all the violence and everything. And we were talking about how it's so obvious that what that police officer did by putting his knee on that black man's neck was, I mean, the guy is asking him, telling him he can't breathe. And there's other people shouting, you're going to kill him, you know. And there's no way in my mind that you can ever justify that. That guy had 18 infractions against him, 18 complaints against himself. And Matina had said that her son Ayers, she said that, you know, most police officers don't even have one complaint against them. He had 18, okay? And I'm not getting the whole political thing, but he should have been prosecuted a long time ago. And that there are other police officers standing there watching this happen, letting that happen, I'm sorry. And I'm not speaking against all police officers because guess what? I'm coming against racism in this message. It's also just as foolish to say all police officers are, or all people that are Hispanic are, all people that are white are, all people that are black are. And the irony here, I think it's very ironic, is when people sometimes suffer racism from a certain demographic or a certain people group, then they'll do the same thing themselves and they'll smear everybody with the same brush. Do you guys see the foolishness of that? I always thought racism was the dumbest sin. I really, for years and years and years, I never, ever got it. And uh, it's dumb because the illustration I like to use is, you know, I went to Royal High. And Royal High was against Simi High and Simi against Royal, you know, school rivalries. But I'd see some, certain kids get all personal about it, you know. And it's almost like they didn't like people from that school. And I'm like, come on now. If you grew up on the other side of the tracks and you went to that school you would have the same attitude toward the other school that you are in favor of now. And it was just so foolish to me. It just was so silly. And I wasn't even saved. I didn't even have a regenerate brain yet, you know, but it was pretty obvious, you know. And I always thought when I see people rant and rave against people of other races because of their race, 
I always thought, do you realize how foolish that is? Because I know if I took your heart and I put you in another color skin, you would hate the skin that you're in now. Amen? I mean, it's because it's a heart problem. And I always say, and I've, I've done a number of messages talking about racism, and I always say it's not a skin problem. It's a what? Remember? It's a sin problem. Amen? It's a problem in the heart. And, and it's not about race, ultimately. It's about our need for grace. Amen? And as we're going to talk about, there's really only one race. It's the human race. That's the biblical worldview, by the way. There's different tribes, it says. There's different nations, peoples, ethnicities. But there's one ultimate race. And that's the biblical worldview. And I do believe the answer is to look at it through the lenses of Scripture. And we're going to get into that. And we need to deal squarely with this subject. If anybody has the answer, and I believe we do have it, it's, it's, it's true Christianity. It's the true word of God. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that's why in this fellowship, you guys on this side, look on this side. We're in Simi Valley, but look at the ethnicity over here. Okay. And then you guys over here, look over there. You know, we got all kinds of people, you know, Hispanics, Filipinos, you're Hispanic and Filipino, right? You're really a winner. That's awesome, man. <laughs> you could cook and sing and everything, right? <laughs> cultural, cultural thing. If you look on this side over here, you got Armenians. A couple of you guys are Armenian, right? I mean, we, you know, we have African-Americans in our fellowship. In fact, right, right, we have Haitian or all kinds of different countries. So you, you have, uh, and I love it because our associate pastor you know, I'm a mixed breed. I'm a Heinz 57 person, you know, and I'm part Hispanic, part African-American. I'm part of a lot of things. At least my tongue thinks I am. I love all the foods from everybody, you know. Uh, but we have uh, all kinds of people from, and it's just beautiful. And my associate pastor, Steve, has been, we've been partners for, is it over 20 years now, Sarah? So Sarah, Frank, <laughs> Carol. <laughs> I saw Sarah. 21 years. And I never thought, could I have a Hispanic guy as my associate pastor? Never, ever, 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 ever even entered in my mind. I just saw a guy that loved Jesus, you know? And I found a kinship with him in the Word of God and a beauty to it. I'm with Carol, too. To this day, I treasure them as some of my best friends. No doubt about it in my mind. I just love them. And I, was, I saw Steve would counsel with me late at night, would counsel on his own late at night, wake up early in the morning. He loved Jesus. And he was a guy made in the image of God that I just admired and I loved that about him. He was never saying, hey, Joe, I'm gonna do this. Can I, can you, can you even, he never asked for pay. When, I, when Blessed Hope started, it was my idea. I didn't want to get, I, I, this is just who we are. You know, then we are going to ministry because people ask us, hey, why don't you go full time? I asked him, you know, him and Carol. And we had Tony Maddox for some time, African-American as our worship leader, Hispanic associate pastor, and I, and I love diversity. Vanilla ice cream's all right. But man, wouldn't ice cream be boring if it was just vanilla every time? Come on, let's just be honest, you know? I love Rocky Road, you know? I love coffee ice cream. I love it all. I'm trying to think of colors now, you know? What's the Asian color? Uh, no. <laughs> you know, but, but the diversity... And when you look at the word of God, it's a beautiful thing. Satan is the one, Satan's the one that wants to twist things and make them ugly. Amen? And if you look at the biblical worldview, we're all created, we all descended from one man and woman. We're all related. Amen? If you need a blood transfusion, you don't have to say, and you're a white person, you don't have to say, is there a white person around any blood? No. You can use anybody's blood. Amen? A man and a woman from two ethnicities, African-American and, you know, Caucasian or whatever, they have babies together all the time because we are all related to each other, okay? And to judge somebody by the color of skin, to me, is the most stupid of sins, okay? By far and away. So I want to encourage you guys now to really pay attention to the scripture because the word of God, the answer is in God's word. It always is. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, the truth will set you free. And when you know Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and you know his word, you get set free from racism, being prejudiced. Because what happens when we get together is there's a renewing of our mind. When we get into God's word, our minds are renewed. Our hearts are renewed. Amen? And we're made more and more in the image of God. And God is not a racist. The Bible says God does not look on the outward appearance, but looks where? On the heart. Amen? 
He looks at our hearts. Now, James chapter 2, we're going to go through James chapter 2, the first, you know, nine verses or so. And it's very, 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 very informative. And when you get to James chapter 2, I, I want to say to you, this is, from, this is from the Lord God, and he's instructing us according to the worldview that he wants us to have and how he wants us to treat one another. Now, right now in the government schools, they teach, by and large, Darwinism. Darwin, I'm going to have a whole second message on this, and I'm going to get deeper in some areas. But in Darwin taught that there were inferior races and that the European, European race were, were, were fully evolved. He did. And he talked about savages and how they were as evolved and were related to orangutans and so forth, which is a lie. We're not related to apes, okay? And that fostered a mentality whereby other Europeans, elitists, put their racial proclivities into, above others. I mean, you get Nazi Germany, the pure Aryan race, and the favored races, and so forth. A lot of that, the eugenics movement. Darwin's cousin, his cousin was the one who started the eugenics movement in Europe, which ended up influenced Nazism and Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger's view, the founder of Mark, Margaret Sanger, who targets black neighborhoods for abortions. It's all about worldview, guys. And when you have a Darwinistic worldview, it's going to influence the way you look at things and the way you look at people. When you have a biblical worldview, are you with me? You're going to understand people as being related to you. It says in Acts 17 that we're all God's offspring. And you're going to see people differently. And when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done and what his goals are and how you fit into it and how everybody fits into his plan, anybody that will respond to him, your heart changes, your mind changes, and your mind is renewed, and the shackles of prejudice and racism, the temptations to th see things differently are dispelled, and you're set free. So I want to encourage you to really pay attention and allow God to, if you're already like, I have no problem in these areas, I'm strong in these areas, just allow God to make you stronger, amen? If you struggle with the sin of racism, because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that we all have a fallen nature, which is bent towards sin that we have to overcome, deny ourselves when we get up in the morning, right? Take up our crosses and follow Christ. People struggle with different sins in different ways. So you might not be able to even think of, I can't even understand how anybody could be racist. But you struggle with another thing. But you might say, wow, that's one of my struggles. Maybe it's something you went through when you were a kid or you struggled, or, or you suffered because you were mistreated because of your race, or you were brought up in a certain, by a certain parents who had you know, racist proclivities and tendencies and influenced you. Uh, oftentimes, that'll, oftentimes parents that are, have racial tendencies will cause the kids to go the opposite direction, which is a good thing, and not be that way. But sometimes it can catch on, and they can start repeating their jargon and everything else. So we need to be really, really careful here. And I want to, right now, we're living in crazy, crazy things are going on around here. And guess who has the answer? We have the answer, guys. God's word, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ destroy racism. We have the answer. We're the ones that should be speaking up. Anybody who in the name of Christ that claims to be a Christian and any church that would teach segregation and that only one particular race should be going to church and we shouldn't mix, it, that's evil, okay? That's wicked. It's from the pit of hell. It's contrary to the word of God. Do you think in scripture they were divided among racial lines in their churches? Absolutely not. In fact, guess what? They would have a tendency to divide among racial lines because guess what? There were a lot of racists in the first century. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Lord Jesus Christ came against racism and taught the, and emphasized that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? In James chapter 2, verse 1, my brethren, this is written to believers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. We have this glorious Lord Jesus Christ, amen? Don't besmirch his name and play favorites. Don't show partiality. Don't have respect of persons. In fact, the Greek word right there is very, very, very fascinating. You know what the Greek word is there? That's translated favoritism. It's prosopolemsia. Prosopolemsia. 
And so if you're reading in Greek, you're going to see, don't have prosopolempsia. What's prosopolempsia? Prosopolempsia is a compound word. It's a very unusual word, very interesting background. It's compound word, two different words put into one word. And it's interesting. The first part is prosopon, prosopon. Okay, so prosopon means person, typically, or sometimes it would refer to the mask that was used by the Greek actors who were called hypocrites in the Greek, you know, and they'd put on a mask because they would have, you know, just like today, a lot of your actors are acting, you know, uh, and putting on masks and so forth. I don't get into that. Speak of hypocrisy, you know. But anyway, it's interesting because when you look at this word, it means uh, person, and then the next word is lumbano. So it's prosopon and lumbano put together. And together you get the word prosopolemsia. And lumbano means to take, to seize, to choose, to make a choice. Okay? So the first word speaks of the person or the face of a person, the mask, the face. And then the next word speaks to choose. And it literally means to choose one person or one face above another to show favoritism based on someone's face, literally. Literally. It came to mean to play favorites, to show favoritism. But originally, when the compound word was put together, it meant to choose one person's face above another. Choose somebody based on how they look. Now, James is going to get into somebody looking rich, somebody based, judging people based on what they wear and treating them better because they're wearing nicer clothes and jewelry and what have you. But it absolutely equally applies to judging someone based on the color of their skin or whether you think they're good looking or not and then treating them differently based on the, how they look. Is that how God works? No. The Bible says that God does not judge by our appearance. He doesn't look at our appearance, but he looks at what? He looks at our hearts, amen? And that's how we have to be. I want to encourage you, if you're younger people, you're taught by social media to judge people based on how they look constantly. And you're, you're put in this little world where they want you to think that you have to look like this to be acceptable. Don't go for it, man. Be who you are in Christ and be free from that. Don't let social media dictate what you're supposed to look like, okay? Let Jesus dictate who you're supposed to be in him, in his image, amen? So it's very, very important that we get this and we understand this. So we're warned not to have prosopolemsia, and that Greek word is used again in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Jump all the way down to verse 9. But if you show prosopolemsia, you choose people based on how they look, you are committing what? Sin. Harmatia. And are convicted by the law as what? Transgressors. It's in the present tense right there. The, the sinning. The the people that are actively, continually judging people based on how they look and treating them differently based on how they look are involved in sin and are transgressors of God's law. They're in huge trouble with God. Verse 1, verse 9. It's like everything's sandwiched between these two words. And as Christians, we of all people ought not to judge people on the basis of which, uh, what they look like. And something occurred to me I got to be very careful when I don't, when I stir from my notes and things occur to me when I'm teaching. But it occurred to me last service that when you are hanging out with people because you think that they dress better, they look better, or they're, they, they're, they're prettier or handsomer, that that's, I feel sorry for your friends because you're a shallow person and you judge them on skin deepness. Ridiculous. And you're actually an ugly person inwardly speaking, where God looks at the heart. Because God calls this sinful, calls this transgression when you have an ugly heart. And we're all ugly when we get away from God and his will, amen? It's deformed us, amen? And as we come back to Christ through the gospel and we're made in the image of God, amen? So he's addressing brethren here, those who are Christians, to make sure we don't have this inner ugliness, because inner, that's what racism is, it's very, very ugly, it's very, very disgusting. It's inner perversion. And it's not something you want to harbor. It's not something that's commendable. It's not something that God or the angels say, oh, that's great. This guy's a racist. No, it grieves the heart of God. And we have to make sure it's not named among any professing believer. 
anybody who would claim that they're Christian and also be a racist at the same time is contradicting their very claim to faith. Now, it's interesting because why, <laughs> you know, why is God so against racism and judging people in outward appearance? Because it's a lie. It's a distortion of reality. He doesn't want us to distort reality. Now, it's interesting, and he doesn't want us to be guilty of encouraging not only the distortion of reality, but the transgression of God's moral law. Now, my heart broke. I'm sure yours did too. Hopefully it did. If you have half a pulse, it should have broke your heart. When this guy has a kneel, a police officer has a, a knee kneeling on uh, George Floyd's neck, okay, which I just found out the proper protocol was you're supposed to hold, you can hold them down if somebody is trying to resist arrest. You know, there's a question about that even. I didn't see the whole picture. So I'm not drawing a conclusion of what this George Floyd was trying to do or not doing, but it didn't seem like what, what was happening to him was definitely not warranted. And the, the knee is to be on the head, not on the neck. But the knee's on the neck. And the guy is pleading, saying, I can't breathe, trying to get a word out, you know. And, uh, and then there's people saying, you're going to kill him, yelling at the cops. And he keeps his knee on there. This guy had 18 different infractions, complaints, I should say, against him. I was getting my hair cut by Matina yesterday, and she was telling me that uh, her son, Eris, is a police officer, and most police officers don't even have one against them. He had 18 against him. What's he doing there still? And then the other police officers weren't telling him, why didn't one of them say, hey, dude, get, get, your, get your knee off his neck, you know? And if it's like, well, cops do that to each other in front of other people, yeah, you have to. A life is at stake here, okay? So if you're going to pick up a narrative where you justify it and say he was just doing his job, don't be so callous. Look at what was going on there. Look at the guy's past. Look at what's going on. And I'm sorry, if you were a, in a, in a so-called racial group that had been enslaved by a country for generations and mistreated and brought from another nation and other nations and made slaves for years and mistreated for years and segregated and having to sit in the back of the bus and not going to certain restaurants and not drink at certain uh, drinking fountains and so forth, and then you see this going on, put yourself in the shoes of black people. Amen? It's wicked in their sight, and, and it ought to be. But you know what I noticed? Sometimes white people, I'm not picking all white people, because that would be the same kind of stereotype, right? But a lot of white people tend to, well, look at all the rioting going on. This is so bad, and, and they'll deflect from what's happening over here. You can't. You have to say, okay, yeah, this is wrong. Hurting innocent people, destroying innocent businesses is wrong, yeah. But that doesn't mean this is all of a sudden not wrong anymore or something you should ignore. And a lot of the outcome, like it or not, what's happening right now, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it's the result of, of there not being justice. Let's be honest, okay? I'm not, I'm not at all, absolutely not condoning any of the violence that's going on. That's wicked. In fact, uh, George Floyd himself warned against violence and people engaging in violence before he died, you know, prior to this even happening. And it's interesting because you can condemn senseless violence that hurts innocent people. There are a lot of people that lost, black people that lost their businesses. And there's a lot of white people going down there just because they want to show anger for whatever reason and they want to loot and whatever else. I'm not saying all of them. There's a lot of, there's a lot, by the way, there's a lot of people peacefully protesting. Okay, I'm all for that, okay? To say hey, something's got to be done. But we don't condone destroying you know, killing cops and killing people because this, you're doing the same thing that you're, you're, you're decrying. You're painting people with a brush and saying they're all like this. And that's the very thing you don't want them to do to you, amen? And you end up, you end up being a racist yourself if you say everybody's like this, that, that you know, every cop's like this and, you know, every, every Asian person's like that or every white person's like this or every Hispanic person's like that. It's just so messed up. It's so weak. It's so pathetic, actually. It really ticks me off. In fact, it's interesting, uh, George Floyd's girlfriend, Courtney Ross, three days into the rioting, she said this would devastate her, her deceased boyfriend. She was engaged to him. She said it would devastate him. Uh, she said that waking up this morning to see Minneapolis on fire would be something that would devastate Floyd. He loved the city. He came here from Houston and stayed here for the, uh, for the people and the opportunities. Floyd was a gentle giant. He was about love and about peace. 
She told the Star Tribune that she wants protesters to know that I understand their frustration, but added, quote, I want people to protest in a peaceful way. She felt that would have made him happy. And unfortunately, violence was not what he was, uh, she doesn't, he wouldn't condone the violence. Unfortunately, people are doing that. Uh, Floyd, he had spoke against violence recently in a video that surfaced, and he stated this, listen, the, the, the young man that was killed, he was murdered, okay? And I don't think it was just third-degree murder, personally, okay? You youngsters are just going around, Floyd said, busting guns in crowds. Kids are getting killed. Sound familiar? It's like it's almost prophetic, you know? Uh, it's clearly this generation after us, man, that's so lost. And he looks into the camera and he says, come on home. He says, because one day it's going to be you and God. And that's the truth. It's going to be you and God and you're going up or you're going down. See guys, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ makes it clear to us, not only by way of creation, but the way of redemption, that God doesn't make a distinction in our value between one another based on race, color, gender. In fact, listen to what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and following. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Are you trusting the Lord? You're a child of God through faith in Christ. Red, brown, yellow, black, or white, they're all what? Precious in his sight. That's not a Bible verse, but that's a, a Christian children's song that's based on the Bible verses, Amen. For all of you, the scriptures say, we're baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Wow. And Greek often is symbolic of the, because it was a Greek culture, the Romans were ruling, but the Grecian culture had so influenced the world and, and it, it was a symbol of the Gentile. And he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free men. And over half the population, many, many historians believe that there were half the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And he's saying, in Christ, there's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. I love that too, man. Because this is, all, this is revolutionary, by the way, in the first century. So there's a lot of people racist. There are a lot of people who were divided upon their, in their racial groups amongst each other. A lot of people hated each other for their races. And women were considered like chattel. They were considered, they were basically owned. So if your wife... If, if, if you had a daughter, you owned her, and then as soon as she was married, her husband owned her. It's like a piece of property. But guess what? These are revolutionary words, man. These are revolutionary words because in Christ there's neither male nor female. doesn't mean that there's not uh, uh, roles. We have different roles. God granted women the ability to have the miracle, the miracle of having babies, which I think is the most radical, besides being born again, you know, and being saved. That's the most radical thing that someone could do on earth. They've been given the greatest privilege on earth, in the physical world. And a man shouldn't say, I want that role. No, God's given you a role, okay? Be thankful, stay in your lane, okay? So there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. We're all heirs. God doesn't look at us as, if, even if they were Christians that were enslaved, he didn't look at them as, oh, you're just a slave. No, you're an heir to the promise. You're an heir to the throne. You're a child of God just as much as the free man. And that's the perspective he wants us to have. I'm trying to get you to understand how revolutionary this was in the first century. And a lot of us don't understand it, but it was Christianity and the message of the cross and the gospel of Jesus Christ that eventually ended mass slavery around the world. The Atlantic free trade movement where, you know, countless people, millions were enslaved, sold from Western Africa and other places and enslaved uh, wickedly. It was John Wesley that railed against it in the, in the 1700s. It was Wilberforce, a professing strong Christian that was the strongest force ending it politically. It was Christian abolitionists that stood against slavery and stood up for the social justice of putting slavery to death that helped end slavery in our country, okay? It's the reality. And Christians ought to be on the forefront of condemning wicked acts. Yeah, we need to see all the facts before we make judgments, but when something's staring in the face and it's obvious, you don't have to hesitate very long. And we have the answer, and the answer is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul uh, declared, taught that we're all equal at the foot of the cross, you know? 
And I think this is very, very important that we get this, that we understand this. So when you understand the background, it'll really help you out. It'll really help you out when it comes to racism, when you understand how the cross made such a different difference in the early Christians because they were from, they were the poorer people often. Most of the Christians, by the way, it's believed were slaves. Most of the Christians were slaves. And it was very easy for them to receive the truth that they were accepted by God and that, that we are all one in Christ. And, but you have to understand to the Jew, it was very, very hard to accept this message probably at first. Why? Why? Think about it. If you're Jewish, you're the chosen people. But it went to their heads that, hey, we're the chosen people, but they lost sight of what they were chosen to do. They weren't chosen to be God's exclusive children. They were chosen to be a light to the Gentiles so the Gentiles too could be saved. They were a tool in God's hands, amen? But it, it went to their heads and they were radically mistreated because they were enslaved by the Egyptians. Can you imagine being enslaved by a people for 400 years? You're gonna deal with a little bit of racism. And they hated the Egyptians, many of them. And then after that, guess what? The, the, the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians who didn't show mercy like a battle axe came down on them. Remember the Ninevites? Not too far away, you know, and how they treated people. And then the southern kingdom were enslaved by the Babylonians. And then the Persians ruled over them. Then the Greeks ruled over, ruled over the Jews. Then the Romans ruled over the Jews when this was written. And in 70 AD, not long after this was written, Rome would destroy uh, the temple with a Syrian conscript under their power. And th there would be diaspora at the Bar Kopa incidents, and uh, there would be a diaspora throughout the world of the Jews going all throughout the world. And so, but prior to 70 AD, there was already this hostility toward Gentiles. In fact, when a Jew looked at a Gentile, he would think sometimes they were just created for the fire, the fires of hell. And in fact, Jews wouldn't even look at Gentiles. Many of them would not even look at a Gentile because they're dirt, they're inferior. They're not chosen, which wasn't scriptural. Okay, because they could be chosen too. Whosoever will could come to the Lord and they were to be a light to the Gentiles. So I'm trying to get you to understand there was a lot of deep animosity between the people in the first century, deeper than the animosity, far deeper than much of the animosity that is in our country because there were fresh wounds that a lot of them had. And they were able to overcome them through the teaching of God's word and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. My point is that what heals, how to heal this situation is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when the gospel and where Christ comes in your heart. I mean, there are millions and millions and millions of people who had racist tendencies, had all kinds of different sins, and when they came to Christ, their hearts changed, man. And they don't look, they're not racist anymore. Well, I know a guy that says he's a Christian, he's a racist. If he's really racist, he's not a Christian. And if he's really a Christian, yeah, he's not a racist. If he's a racist, he's not a Christian. It's like saying, I know a Christian and he's a murderer. No doesn't exist. The Bible says there's no murderer that has eternal life in him. That's a contradiction. Well, he has, sometimes he struggles with bad thoughts of, you know, well, every Christian could struggle. But if he's a walking racist and he's adopted that way of life, he's not following Christ. Amen? The Lord changes our hearts. It's the gospel, man. It's the power of God to salvation, you know? So it's interesting. When you look at this, you have to understand when they're reading this, right? James is a Jew, He's letting them know there's no difference between the Jews and the Greeks in Christ. And then he goes on, but go to James chapter 3 and look at verse 8. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and our Father, he says, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image or the likeness, NASB, the likeness of God. Now keep in mind what he's just been talking about, not to have favoritism not to judge people based on how they look. And then he says not to curse people and that the others, the people that you're cursing are made in God's image. They're made in his likeness. In other words, he wants us to have a Christian, biblical, theistic worldview whereby we understand that people are made in the image of God. We're all created by God, amen? And when you start to view people that way, it changes the way you look at people. Because guess what? You are God's poema. Red, brown, yellow, black, or white. You are precious in his sight. He made you in his image. And if I look at you with disdain because of the image that you bear, then there's a problem with me the way I'm looking at what God's made. And that shows you that there's a real problem with me. Or if you're looking at somebody with the, in the image that they're made and you're looking at them with disdain, you've got a real problem. And he says, 
who have been made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. This is not the way it ought to be. It's inconsistent with being a Christian. We're all made in the image of God. This is very, very important. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, where the whole story starts, where we understand what's going on, why God created us, we read that God, quote, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I am so glad he didn't stop at him right there. And it says, male and female, he created. He says, male and female, he created them. Because he's making it really clear, because some dude would come around and say, yeah, just us men are made in God's image. No, the Holy Spirit said, Shh, male and female made in them. We're all made male and female in the image of God. Amen. We're equal to one another. Amen. Women have certain giftings that men don't have. Men have giftings they don't have, and they complement one another. Amen. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth. Dear sister, you are made in the image of God. God took you and made you in his image and loves you so dearly, and you reflect the one true God in special ways, and you are very special in his sight. And, and Jesus said he sells the, the people sell the sparrows for pennies, right? And the father cares about the sparrows when they fall to the ground. He says, but you are worth more than many sparrows. You're more valuable than many sparrows to God, okay? You are so valued and so loved by, by God, men and women, male and female, young people. The scriptures say in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and he made from one man, that's Adam, right? Adam's name means man. He made from one man every nation, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and their boundaries and their habitation. So from one man, every nation, Ethiopians, okay? The Sudanese, okay? The South Africans, all those in the North African continent, all those nations, the, the Chinese, you know, the J Japanese, the Koreans, you know, the Haitians, the, the, the Brazilians, you know. The, those in the United States, you know, those in Canada, those in Russia, those in Germany, those in Britain, those in France, you know, those in Italy, those in Israel, all these different nations, we all came from one man. We all came from one man. And after that, you go to Genesis chapter 9, and you have a granddaddy. Do you know what his name is in Genesis chapter 9? You can go all the way back to Adam, but even after Adam, we all go back to one man. After Adam, so many generations, you all come from Adam, or you all come from Noah as well. He's your great, 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 great granddad. When people say, you know what? I'm related to Huckleberry Finn. He didn't exist, but somebody might say that, right? People say they're related to certain people. They say, you know, I'm related to Noah. You are? I can prove it. You can. So are you. You know? We're all related. Amen? We're all God's offspring. Jesus taught us whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. God wants us, God, Jesus is God in the flesh. He wants to do good to everyone. And it's interesting because when God gave even the Old Testament law, I want you to really capture this in your mind. Because the Jews came to understand that their neighbors, when they're called to love their neighbors, because that was taught in the Old Testament, many of them thought it just meant love your fellow Jew. Because many of the Jewish leaders would pray a prayer, God, I thank you for not making me a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. They didn't get that from God. That's ridiculous. And it's interesting because they thought the, their neighbor was other Jews. Listen to what Leviticus in the Old Testament says your neighbor, who your neighbor is. God told his people, listen, quote, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you, the stranger, the guy that's from outside the country, who sojourns with you as the native among you. I Meaning you're supposed to treat the person who sojourns among you as the native among you. Brothers and sisters, by the way, you need to apply that. Unless you are a Native American and Indian, you were once a sojourner here. And you know what he says here? And I'm, 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 I'm applying it to us, but he's talking to Israel, right? He says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So he's telling them, who's your neighbor? You're supposed to use it. He's telling them to love him as they, themselves. Not just other Jews, what? People from any other country that comes through here, you're supposed to treat them like you treat the natives in the land. How many do you treat Hispanic people that come over the border the way you treat other people that were born here? Oh, but what if they're here illegally? Oh, I don't read in this text Leviticus 19.34 unless they're there illegally. I don't read that. Just love people. Amen? And I look at it when people come over the border. I, I, hey, you're making my job easier. 
Because guess what? I go over the border, we go over the border to try to reach people for Christ. If you come to me, save me a trip and tell you about Jesus, amen? You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't have uh, laws because if you don't have borders, it is true, you don't have nations. But I'm just saying as Christians, we need to look at what's before us and love people, amen? And we need to do good. So we're supposed to love on people and we're supposed to treat them. And I want you to keep in mind that the Jews' neighbors were not, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason because it's gonna come up later and then it's gonna make sense why I emphasize this point because people miss it. We are all about, and I, lo- I love the fact that there's racial diversity in our fellowship. And I always joke about, you know, I praise God for what happened at the Tower of Babel, the judgment, when God spread out the nations, because when there's all these different nations, now there's all this wonderful ethnic food. I love it, okay? And I'm 100%, I mean, I'm so happy about the outcome of that, amen? And I'm so happy that Christ brings us together so I get to be fellowshipping with all these different ethnicities and way beyond the food. The food is just, oh, that's a great throw-in, you know? But there, there's such a beauty, a beauty in the diversity, you know? Like I said earlier, you know, if it's all vanilla ice cream, I get tired of that real quick, man, you know? Uh, and I love the diversity. Now, oh, well, there's bad people in that race. and there, There's bad people in every so-called racial group, Amen? And there's also people in each racial group that are very altruistic. And you're blind if you want to say everybody's this way, you know? I mean, I've met some of the most, by far and away, I've met by far and away some of the most loving people are in all kinds of different racial groups. I met incredibly loving uh, people that are Arabic, since Arabs, because of Islam, don't think because Arab means Islam, no. Okay, Islam has some really destructive teachings, you know, blowing yourself up so you can go be with 72 virgins and killing a bunch of people. Disagree with that. But there's a lot of Arab people, a lot of Indonesian people that may have a religion I disagree with, but they're made in the image of God. I'm still called to love them, amen? And, and there's, a, there's a lot of Arab people that are incredibly hospitable, beautiful, loving, wonderful people. There are a lot of Hispanic people that just will melt your heart with just their hospitality, their graciousness, their love. There are African-American people the same way where you're just like, just there's such a beauty about African-American people that's just beautiful that sometimes you sit back and you're just like, wow, that's so awesome. About every ethnic group, I can go through the room right now and just pick, a, pick an ethnicity and you can see beauty of it. It says in the book of Revelation that the different nations will bring their glory into, into the New Jerusalem. I love that. I'm like, what does that look like? That means each nation has its own glory its own specialness that they're going to bring in. Yeah, all the nations, every race, racial group has its, its problem too. It's called sin, right? We all have sin. That's not germane to one specific race other than the human race. We all have that, amen? But Christ came to conquer that, amen? And that's, what we, that's why we preach Jesus, so we can be free from sin. It's not that hard. This isn't, it's not that hard to do the math when it comes to racism. It's just folly. It's just stupidity. It's just, it's, it's, it's looking at things in a very limited way based on a hurt you went through or based on something you were taught, you know, or based on the sinful flesh, you know. Uh, and I love it, man, because, you know, when I was mentioning that Steve Aguilar, Hispanic pastor, Carol, Hispanic or Brown, I don't even want to call him, right? Uh, Tony Maddox was our worship leader for some time, African-American. I love it. And I was joking with Steve last service is, Steve, just to underscore the power of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Steve, before we were Christians, when you were hanging out in LA before the busing program, right? And I'm hanging out here in Lily White, Simi Valley, right? Would we just be, he's one of my best friends, would, and Carol is too, would they be, would you guys be our buddies hanging out? no. You know, and he's shaking his head, smiling. He's thinking, I'll be chasing you. You know, my man, my group, you know. And we might be saying things about you or chasing you here, you know. Uh, and we didn't roll that way, I can say that. I mean, I, was, I didn't grow up thinking, I don't, I hate these people. That was just, I, was, I thought racism was stupid even as a kid. And it's because I saw some racism. And I saw somebody sometimes drinking a lot and we become racist. And it just looked so, it was so ridiculous. I was like, what in the world? And the person wasn't typically like that unless they were really drunk. And, 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 you know, maybe a little bit, but not like that. And that just showed me really early on before I was even a Christian 
wow, this is like ridiculous, you know? But then I became a Christian. I was like, wow, here's the answer. This is the only answer because it's only in true Christian churches where you see no racism. I mean, look at us. We're all kinds of, I mean, you have people here. I mean, you know, there's all this diversity here, you know, and I love it, but we don't think of it. I'm going to go sit with a Hispanic person. I'm going to go sit by that white person over there. We don't think that way. It doesn't even come into our brains. I just see my brothers and sisters. That's what you see, amen? We just love each other. And that's the way it ought to be. Because true Christianity is colorblind. Because God does not look on the appearance. He looks at the heart, amen? And we're called that, we're told, don't show favoritism. Don't judge people by their face. That's what the little Greek word means, James 2.9. And then verse 9, if you do do this, you are convicted of sin and you are a transgressor of God's law. That's serious stuff. Amen? So from, from the Christian standpoint, we know that we're created in God's image. Amen? We know what the gospel is about, and we know that God wants to change our hearts, and we know that we need to be, become more like the Lord. And he's not a racist. In fact, he made everybody in his image. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2 now. For if a man comes in your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my footstool. I mean, he's saying, well, look what he says in verse four. Have you not made distinctions between yourselves, among yourselves, and become judges with evil motives? In other words, if you're treating a person that has riches, man, this guy dresses really nice and look what he drives. And you want to befriend him? It shows you that you're not even really loving that person either, by the way. Do you know that? It shows you that you're trying to get something from that person. Or you're trying to raise your own status because you're with a certain person. Or whatever the motive may be. But you, you have evil motives. He's saying, that means, brothers and sisters, if a poor person walks in, let's say somebody walks in the street, and they come in and they visit, and they're inquiring, they want to see what's going on here. Or maybe they have some kind of need, right? And you just like, Pfft wonder what that guy did to get in that kind of trouble where he's in that situation. Whew, don't do that. We're, as Christians, we're supposed to show the love of God to people, amen? Right away, you should say, Lord, help me be a blessing to that person. That's what you should do. You see something like that, say, say, Lord, help me to encourage that person, show that person love. In fact, you might want to make a beeline to that person before the person that looks really, really good. You know why? Because that person probably needs some help more than the other person maybe, Amen. I'm just saying, if you're going to go one way or the other, don't, don't show preference based on looks, but when you see a need, be there to help it. That's what I'm pointing out. And we as Christians need to make sure we, do, we, we, we go the extra mile and we don't judge people based on their faces, okay? In fact, I think it's interesting because Jesus, you think Jesus was lily white? No. He was Middle Eastern. He was Jewish. Why not a lot of Jewish people, they're very light? European Jews are, okay, that have mixed European blood. But native Jews often have, not always, some are lighter, but many of them have darker skin too, okay? And Jesus is often painted as a certain race. If you wanted to paint Jesus, I think he has more of like a, a brown skin, personally. You know? So guess what? If you have a fellowship based on race and color and you're a white community Jesus would not be allowed in the door in the first century probably kind of think about that for a second see how stupid that is it's actually so shallow so it's interesting we don't want we want to askew racism because God does and because that's not who we are and that's not who we're created to be in fact Peter in Acts 10 34 listen to what he says God shows no partiality Look what Paul says in Romans 2.11. He says, there is no favoritism with God. Aren't you glad God doesn't just save people with green eyes? Or people with brown eyes? Or people with blue eyes? Thank God he's not like that. Amen? He loves all sinners. In fact, I want to give you a set of propositions that should inform your worldview. What's your worldview? Your worldview is how you view reality, how you view the world and how you view ultimate reality, not just the world that you see before you, but spiritual reality and 
you know, depending on how deep your worldview goes. And if your worldview is informed by the word of God, you cannot possibly be a racist unless you reject the word of God. And some of the verses I'm going to read to you, you say, wow, I've heard him quote that a lot. That's because I love these verses. I love these verses. You hear me quote them all the time because they show God's love for all people. And that's one of the things I love about God is that he cares about all of us, amen? You don't have to wonder if he loves you. You don't have to wonder if he's left you out, if he doesn't care about you. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away, amen? He loves each and every one of us, guys. What a beautiful God we have. Aren't you glad he doesn't, he's not a racist and doesn't just love one group? What an awesome God we have. And you should get excited about that. And you should be able to rest and rejoice in that because a lot of people, they have tribal gods where God just likes their tribe, just loves their tribe. And we have a God that says, for whosoever will. Amen? In fact, listen to these propositions. First, this is just propositional truth. This is the reality. This is the reality. God loves all sinners. His grace is universal. Now I'll give scriptures to back that up. John 3, 16. Jesus said it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whosoever, right, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8. God shows us his love. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Speaking of humanity. God's will, next proposition, God will, God's will is for all races to be saved. People from every race. And I lose, use that term races because it's a, clo a colloquial language. It's a common language. But ultimately, biblically speaking, there's what? One race. We all come from Adam, the human race. There's different tribes, different peoples, different people groups, but there's ultimately one race. But God's will is for people of all people groups to be saved. What does it say in 1 Timothy 2.4? God wills that all would be saved. All would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to what? Repentance. Right? Amen. The next proposition, Christ paid for the sins of all people, red, brown, yellow, black, or white. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 2, that Christ is a propitiation or the payment not only for our sins, believers, but for the sins of the whole world, all the believers throughout the whole world. Amen? I love what Peter said in Acts 15, 9. He says that uh, to his fellow Jewish believers that God, quote, made no distinction between the Gentile Christians and us having cleansed their hearts by faith. I love that. Because remember, Peter didn't want to go share the gospel to the Gentiles. That's how much racism was a part of Judaism in the first century. He didn't want to share the gospel. Even when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, ethnos again, by the way, right there, every ethnic group, guess what? Peter and the, a lot of the Jews just sat on their hands Kept it among the Jews. Then Jesus, the Lord speaks to Peter, gives him a vision, man. He drops a, a, a big old sheet of unclean animals, according to Judaism, before him. He says, kill and eat. And they're shellfish, crawdads, and lobster, and shrimp, and pork chops, and bacon, all this good stuff, right? You know, or whatever's there. And he appears like, you know, I, I, I won't. He, he, three times he did this. Kill and eat. And then Peter, the third time, he got it because he's in trouble. He, the Lord says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. And you know what God was teaching Peter? Well, we know from Mark chapter 7 that it says that Jesus made all foods clean. Amen. He made a distinction between the foods to keep them from, gave them certain dietary laws, knowing what was going to happen in the future, to keep them from certain diseases. But now he opened up all foods that would be clean through, through prayer and thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 2, 4. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. So check this out. He says, Peter learned that the Gentiles, anybody that would come to Christ could be cleansed of their sins, right? And then Peter has this revolutionary understanding and that's when Peter said that God showed him that there's no partiality with him. Very, very important. The next proposition, the apostle Paul declared that the gospel is for all. I love Romans 1.16. My wife used to wear a shirt, you know, with that scripture blazing on her. Actually, it was like a, little uh, sport jacket for years, you know, and it's, uh, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. And uh, Jew first meant because the gospel came to the Jews first because God wanted to use them to be like to the Gentiles. 
So the gospel is for everyone. Also, we read in Romans 10, 12, Paul says later in that same book, he says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. I love that. He breaks the barriers. The gospel breaks the barriers between the races. This is the most powerful weapon against racism in the world because guess what? The creator of the universe, it's his gospel. You'd expect that. And that's why millions of people who were racist or had racist tendencies now love people from other races because of the work of Jesus and what he did in their hearts. How does it break barriers? Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, Jesus that is, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. He broke down the wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles, having abolished it in his flesh, the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So he brought Jews and Gentiles together in one body, the body of Christ, the church. Amen? Again, remember how revolutionary this is for the Jews. And revolutionary for many of the Gentiles. Many of the Gentiles hated the Jews and hated people of other ethnic groups and other backgrounds. So it's so important that we get this, that we understand this, you know. And Peter learned, man. Peter learned. Acts 10, 38, Peter says, you know, to the, to the Gentiles who were open to the gospel, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for Jews to associate with you or visit anyone in an, of another nation. Do you catch that? It was a known thing. You, you Gentiles, you know how unlawful it is for Jews you know, he says it, uh, to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Remember Peter when he fell into, back into his old Judaism and he was eating with the Gentiles and some Jews came along that were of the circumcision and really strict and he stepped away, act like I'm not with them. And Paul said, I confronted Peter his face and told him, you're being a hypocrite, Peter. And Peter's saying, hey, you know what? Uh, he says, you, remember, you know how we couldn't associate with Gentiles or we didn't associate with Gentiles and visit anybody with another nation? He says, but God, there's another but God. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Wow. Different worldview. God changed his perspective. And when your perspective changes, your application, the way your life, your life changes. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. Right doctrine leads to what? Right living. You, how do you apply this? You understand, I'm creating God's image. It's for whosoever will. The gospel is for everyone. I need to love and embrace everybody and just show them the love of Christ and treat them as those who are the very image bearers of God. As much, creating as much in God's image as I am. Amen? Are you with me today? I love 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. If one, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the same spirit. Next proposition, Jesus commanded us, and I mentioned this one already, I jumped ahead into it, but to make disciples of all ethnic, ethnic groups. So I'll skip to the next one. I love this one, it's one of my favorite ones. Every color will be in heaven. Every, people from every Racial, so-called background, will be in heaven together. It says all the different nations will bring their glory into the kingdom. Now listen to this, guys. Listen to what it says. Revelation 7, 9, the book of the end, the Omega book, right? Listen to what it says. John says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. Such a vast amount of people, we couldn't even count them. From every nation, every nation, name a nation, they're from there too. From all tribes, any tribe, all tribes, and peoples, and languages, every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Standing before where? The throne. Standing before the Lord's throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Wow. If you're a racist, you're not going to like heaven. Hell's a far better place for you because that's where you belong because you don't want to be with red, brown, yellow, black, or white. And these are all people who've had their hearts changed by God and love God. God will create a new heaven and new earth wherein dwells what? Righteousness. And if you're a racist and you hate on people because of the color of skin or what they look like, heaven would no longer be heaven with you walking around. It'd be, just, it'd be sad with a bunch of people walking around like that. There's not going to be a place in heaven where the KKK is going to meet. There's going to be a place in hell. They're not going to meet there either. They're all going to be isolated from one another and writhing in pain and 
weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I love that, man. Don't you love Revelation 7, 9? I just love that, that people, I can't wait, man. I'll tell you what, I started crying one time. I was preaching in Israel, and I was preaching just by the Egyptian border, you know. Uh, Ted Walker and Linda had brought me there, and a really neat Jewish brother there, and, and they were helping the Sudanese refugees, because that's when a lot of the, the Sudanese who are, are black, they were running for their lives from a lot of the Muslims that were killing them. Millions of, millions of Christians got killed in Sudan at the hands of Muslims. We just watched a uh, movie a few days ago. What was it called? The, uh, it's called the, the Good Lie. I think Witherspoon or whoever that was that was in that. And it was about Christians running for their lives. Anybody see that movie? It's kind of interesting. It came out a couple years ago. And they were running for their lives uh, in a long trek. It's pretty interesting. And through Sudan from the Muslims. And they end up in the United States. And they got their Bibles and you know, they're super, you know, seeking God and everything. Very interesting movie. And, but we were there on the border of, Eth- on, uh, of Egypt because they come from Sudan through Egypt and run for the lives because in Egypt you could be killed. In fact, the Egyptian soldiers would shoot them right at the, the fence before they got into Israel. And they get into Israel, Israel, because Israel is far different than what the mainstream medium tries to make Israel look like. The Israelis would, would save their lives and they were allowed to live in Israel. And there were a lot of these refugees in this camp and I remember doing a message, and I brought up this verse, you know, and I looked around, and there were people from China, people from Sudan. One little boy, we played soccer with a lot of these Sudanese kids, and, and one of them was just on one leg. He was hopping around playing soccer, probably playing better than me at that time, you know, and he's really good, and he's just this poor kid. A hand grenade got a bomb. His dad got killed on a bus, and he was with him. He lost his leg, okay? And you know what was so beautiful, though? When we're there, and I'm preaching through the scripture, I just started weeping because I started, I saw all these ethnic groups, that people that just love Jesus, guys. And I thought, wow, this is a picture of heaven, what it's be like before the throne, all these people that just love Jesus from diff- different ethnic groups, and they're the most beautiful people on earth. The kingdom of God is never so beautiful than when I see people of different, various ethnic groups together in Christ, worshiping Jesus, fearing and loving the Lord. The Bible says, I'm a companion with all those who fear you. Amen. Now, we have to make sure, verse 4 says, of, chapter, of James chapter 2, says, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil motives. You become judges with evil motives. Think about that, guys. We're supposed to be done at noon, right? No? Uh-oh, I'm in trouble here. Man, I must have been really relaxed the second service. We started at what? 10, right? Well, I cannot believe it's 11.30. Wow. I'll just say this, because we don't have communion. I'll say this, guys, is... You want to make sure you don't have these evil motives. I'm at the end of my message, so I'm going to say a few things for just a few minutes. Think about this, guys. Jesus gave a parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that? And in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he talked about a guy that got beat up, was left half dead, and a Levite and a priest passes him by. They both separately. First the Levite, first the priest, the Levite going the other side of the road. And they don't help this guy. Who comes by and helps this guy? And Jesus is answering a question about who my neighbor is and how do I love my neighbor, you know? And the Jewish guy is trying to justify himself, trying to test Jesus. But he just sees his fellow Jews as neighbors, like we talked about earlier, remember that? And Jesus gives this parable. And who is the guy that helps this guy that's beaten half to death? It puts him on his animal, cleans him up, bandages his wounds, takes him to an inn, pays for the innkeeper and tells the innkeeper, I'll pay more later. It's a Samaritan guy. And the Samaritans were half-breeds that lived to the north of Israel who had mixed their blood with others during the diaspora and come back and they were worshiping God wrong and everything. And they were hated by the Jews. The Jews despised the Samaritans. And the Samaritans despised the Jews, many of them. Guess what happened? Jesus says the Samaritan guy came and helped him and did all this wonderful stuff. You know what Jesus was doing there? He was destroying. This was a parable, I am convinced, against racism. Why? Because the Samaritans were considered a half-breed, a different race. And they were despised. And Jesus basically throws everything they think about race into a, 
He just reverses it. And if you miss the meaning of this parable, you'll miss an amazing teaching on what it means to not be racist and what it means to be an anti-Christ-loving, anti-racist. Listen, there were Good Samaritan parables that were already around before Jesus said that. They weren't called Good Samaritan, though. There were parables about being a guy that would help other people, that the Jews would tell each other. In Jesus' day, before Jesus said this, and they were usually about a good rabbi. And it would be a rabbi that helped a Roman soldier that was hurt, or a rabbi that helped a leper. What does Jesus do here? He turns us all around, man. He says, it's the Samaritan. Because their racism would say, the Samaritan, they're all bad. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, there's some really good guys out there that are Samaritans. So what does he do? He does three things. First of all, he shows that your neighbor is not just who? Your fellow Jew, amen? It's everyone, number one, amen? And number two, he shows that the Samaritans, there's good Samaritans, there's people in other races that are actually trying to be a blessing and help other people. And what does he do, number three? He shows that love isn't just accepting people from another race, but it's going the extra mile. Because he tells this Jewish guy, he says, go and do the same. Because he says, who loved who? And he says, the Samaritan loved him. Jesus says, that's right. You go and do the same thing. In other words, number three, the third thing he, make, makes, he emphasizes is that we're supposed to put feet on our worldview. Amen? So I want to encourage you today to put feet on our worldview. To go out and love people that are different colors. Amen? Go out. Christians have the answer. And so I close with these seven quick applications and I'm going to say them all. And they're all based on different scriptures and you see how much I skipped. Number one, make sure you have a biblical worldview. We're all created in God's image. God created all of us and he died for all of us. He doesn't will that any would perish, amen. Number two, make sure you identify any sinful racial attitudes that you have and repent of them. Amen, metanoia, have a change of heart, change of mind. Number three, pray that God would Take any wicked thoughts away that you might have toward another racial group. Amen. Number four, recognize that Jesus warned that nation will rise against nation, ethnic group against ethnic group, because people won't have the love of God. And the love of God will grow cold. And number five, make sure your love light doesn't grow cold, that it doesn't grow dim. Make sure you stay in love with the Lord, that you stay close to the Lord, that you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and falling away from the living God. Amen. Number six, purposely go out of your way and out of your comfort zone to fellowship with godly believers of different stripes. Amen. Number seven, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God to salvation, the Jew first and also the Greek. You know, Steve and I, totally different backgrounds. One of my best friends, also, uh, you know, different background, grew up different places. We don't even think like that at all. Why? What made the difference? The gospel of Jesus Christ changed our hearts. We just see each other as brothers in Christ. Amen. That should be happening for every true Christian. Amen. So I encourage you, go and love one another and go and be the answer to the, and be the solution to the problem that the world's facing right now. And go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is indeed the power of salvation to the Jew and also to the Greek. Amen? Praise God. Can we all please stand?